Lizzie Borden took an axe. Gave her mother 40 wax. When she saw what she had done, she gave her father 41. Oh! <laughs> Welcome to the Haunted Davenport. We are a monthly retro and retro horror and sci-fi podcast. We are here in Davenportland. I am Andy, and with me tonight are Allison. Hello. Drew. Hello. And our special guest, Val. Hi. Who is also related to us. Yes. <laughs> tonight is a family affair. Yeah. <laughs> Val is my sister-in-law, and then you can figure out how she's related to everyone else from there. That's the only cl clue you'll get as yeah. to my identity. She's actually only related to me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay, I see. Uh, All right, so for this episode, we are covering the 1975 telefilm called The Legend of Lizzie Borden. It originally came out in February of 1975, so as of this February... It's 45 years old, and it stars Elizabeth Montgomery as the main character and historical figure, Elizabeth Borden. Now, before we get too far into this, I just want to say full disclosure. We actually recorded this episode two weeks ago <laughs> and had an audio glitch that we could not filter out and fix, so everybody was kind enough to agree to gather again, especially Val, who is our guest, first-time guest here. And she was awesome, and it was kind of heartbreaking to lose the audio because it was so good. We're going to try and be, you know, half that good tonight at least and talk about this interesting TV movie from the 70s. But I just want to let you guys know, so it might come up in, in conversation about how we talked about this before, or I don't know, it just just full full disclosure, I guess, mm -hmm. behind well, the scenes. And hopefully Val will be able to do her song and dance number again. <laughs> oh, right, right. It was fantastic. It was amazing. I mean, you so hit good. all those notes perfectly. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> I don't get to make my first time... Or no, yeah, long-time listener, first-time caller joke again, which is, like, really sad because I felt like that I was mean, just, like... I mean, you could have, and we could have pretended we never heard it. It was. But... It was inauthentic. <laughs> so, yeah, um, and also, before we get into the plot, uh, we are going full spoilers for this. This is based on a true story, kind of an infamous true crime <clears throat> story, so you probably already know the story to some extent, and so if you don't... Um, and you don't want to be spoiled, uh, go check this movie out. It's available readily on YouTube. The visual and audio quality isn't great, but it's also on DVD. I think the DVD is the European theatrical cut that was released abroad. Um, I, we actually, two weeks ago, uh, rented it from our local video place, Movie Madness, which we are... for Movie Madness. We are lucky enough to still have an amazing rental place standing. It's now a nonprofit, and if you're ever in the Portland area, you've got to check it out because it's filled with movie memorabilia. They have a screening room and snacks, so can't beat that. Hmm. But yeah, so I guess 
Let's get into Lizzie Borden. Does anyone want to, like... Well, now, because we, uh, most of us, or, anyways, there was re-watching of the show to, to reintroduce ourselves. I've now seen this four times, three times this month. Huh. Well, yeah. <laughs> right. And so, uh, on her third time this month, we watched, again, the television version and since we watched the television version and the theatrical European release very close together, we kind of were able to notice the differences, which is pretty much just more implied nudity. Right. Other than that, all the violence and gore is about the same. You need the nudity to get the butts in the theater seats. Mm -hmm. Yep. You know? so. Well. Yep, there was not enough Elizabeth. You, you need uh, Elizabeth Montgomery's, Montgomery's butt, butt to get to, the butts in right. the seats. <laughs> and, and boy, howdy, I'm sure it did. Mm. I didn't look at, like, the European box office numbers or anything for this. I didn't I didn't delve that deeply. Sorry, guys. Of course, you would think the European audience probably wouldn't know her from Bewitched. Where mm, maybe. I feel like the audiences here, knowing her from Bewitched, there's probably a lot of young men that had crushes on Samantha that would have loved to see some Elizabeth Montgomery butt action. Right, on, on ABC. Yeah. yeah. So, in, in case you didn't know, for some reason, because you weren't exposed to Bewitched and the, the pop culture giant that that was for mid-century television, Elizabeth Mo Montgomery starred in that show. She was a witch married to a mortal, and comedy ensues. It also co-starred the awesome... Agnes Moorhead as her witchy mother, and uh, yeah, I, I, that's a good show if you enjoy some fun, lighthearted jokes about domestic suburban life in the in the early '60s. I recommend it. Dick Sergeant, Dick York, Sergeant York. Sorry, that was my nice Wayne's World my Wayne's reference. World reference. Excellent. I don't think there's any drinks for Wayne's World references. So, the other notable actress that's in this is Catherine Hellmond, who plays Lizzie's older sister, Emma Borden. And Catherine Hellmond, if you were an 80s kid, you would know her as the sassy grandma from Who's the Boss? Or maybe you would have seen her in the excellent movie Brazil. Yeah. And she, a ton of other things. Just a, a veteran actress. She did so many things. And she's usually really, really vivacious and... Full of you know, full of hijinks and, and yeah, definitely. <laughs> and she's you know, she's a classic stereotypical wild redheaded. Except lady. in this movie, where she is not a firecracker. She's so no. buttoned down she and is sad. The wettest of wet blankets. <laughs> and fun fact that probably not a lot of people know: if you uh, you can find this also on YouTube. Uh, in the early '90s, they tried to make a television show for Elvira after. It was a couple years after Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, hit theaters, which is a fun movie. And if you're an Elvira fan, you might want to check it out. They well, have a pilot. It's called The Elvira Show. And Catherine Hellmond played an aunt who was also a witch on that show. So, right. For the one pilot Tying episode. Tying it all together. Yeah. Right. And it was a pilot episode for a sitcom because she had the... The movie Macabre show for a long time. Right. This this was an actual This wasn't her introducing movies. This was just her being Elvira in a small, you know, town that didn't know that she was a witch. Oh, like a like an Adams family kind of movie. Sort of, yeah. Okay. And it was a low budget pilot, but I mean this was the era of like married with children and that was a huge hit. So I feel like yeah. if somebody given it a chance it might yeah, be. Yeah, I mean better. the pilots we watched it. It's it's entertaining. It's not bad. Yeah. 
She's, she's, you know, her normal Elvira boy crazy self. But we digress. Sure. So, um, just a real quick synopsis of what this TV movie is focusing on. It's, it's the infamous Borden murder case, which took place, um, Andrew and Abigail Borman, Borden, sorry, were uh, murdered on August 4th, 1892, sometime in the morning. Believe, like around 10 30 a.m yeah yeah and About. this basically basically the only suspect they ever really looked into was uh andrew borden's youngest daughter lizzie she was at home at the time of the murders as well as their maid who is named bridget sullivan who maggie. is maggie called maggie <laughs> which we'll get into <laughs> there's reasons for that and uh yeah so they this this film focuses on um the basically the aftermath but then shows you the relationship with the family through flashbacks so we're basically doing like a courtroom drama with little slices of violent moments and right. family discord well, and all the and flashbacks are intense gross mutton soup eating scenes oh delicious that are let me tell you it's i don't ever need to see that scene again uh, so. yeah, it's all flashbacks through Lizzie Borden's perspective. Yeah, from her perspective. And, although, in this film, and historically, she was acquitted of the crime, everybody kind of always just assumed that she did it, and yeah. got away and with got it. And got away with and it. And we'll never know, but this film, and for, you know, the purposes of talking about this film, it implies that she definitely did it. Oh, it doesn't imply it full. It is. It is yeah, it shows you. There, there's a glorious endorsement of her of her murdering these people. I've only seen one other film adaptation of this story, and also I don't. Is there a version out there where Lizzie didn't do it? No. If, hmm. if there is, let me know. I'm let pretty us sure. Know. I looked up quite a few things now that. Now that we've done this once before and we're yeah. doing it a second time, we had a lot of time to reread about a bunch of stuff about the Bordens. And uh, as far as I've read so far, there hasn't been a single depiction of in book form or movie form. There's never really, well, there's kind of the TV show-ish thing with, um, what's her name? Christina Ricci. Christina oh, Ricci right. Now. But, like, all of them have just implied or blatantly said yes lizzie borden killed her stepmother and father yeah. is it just because there's like very little good evidence that anyone else could have done it with the exception of maggie who definitely should have like i feel like knowing what i know now about the maggie situation <laughs> right. which is fantastic and it's one of my favorite movie do you want to say why she's called maggie like, so, tell the listeners the why Bordens. okay so this is um you know this is a time in american history when irish people have not yet gotten like their status as being recognized members of a lot of communities like there's still a lot of like bias and prejudice against irish people um it's a really beautiful sign in the general store there's a scene in the Lizzie Borden movie where Lizzie Borden goes into a general store to do some of her, you know, random shoplifting that she does because we all <laughs> need to feel alive. Um, and there's a sign as she's exiting the store. They don't really draw that much attention to it, but it just says no Irish allowed. And so the Bordens being an upper class family, they have a house servant 
whom I thought was named Maggie when I watched this movie two weeks ago, but turns out her name is Bridget. Yes. It is. So Bridget yeah. Sullivan. Bridget Sullivan is the name of the maid. Um, she's a famous Sullivan. Drew can touch on that. Um, well, she was on a <laughs> was Irish on... website and they were just going through Irish names and <laughs> Sullivan. They went and looked and found all the famous Sullivans and she was on the top of the list of famous Sullivans. So Bridget's <laughs> crime was infamous. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. She was a witness. Bridget's Everyone a famous and Gordon. infamous Sullivan. So good for her. But Apparently, before Bridget came into the employee of the Bordens, they had another Irish maid, and that maid was named Maggie. And right. so, just the Borden sisters. Right. Well, because it was probably that they were younger. <laughs> they were young when they had Maggie. And so, they just thought maids were called Maggie. And, of course, I mean... You get a new maid, you get a new Maggie. Lizzie and Emma are, like, adult women, Oh, and yeah. would fully know that maids are called maids well, and not Maggie. Right, because right, Lizzie is 32 at the time of the murders, and I believe Emma's 10 years older, so she'd be 41. Right, 40. so and they, are, the, they are old enough to know better, to learn someone's name. Maggie, a.k.a. Bridget, had only been employed by them by a couple of years. So this is a 30-year-old woman who got a new maid in the house and refused to call her Bridget because all maids are Maggie. <laughs> It's just so dehumanizing. I mean, they already treated her like a second-class citizen because she's servant-class, but then also Irish, so... Like, if you want, like, just a beautiful indictment of the right. wealthy, the Maggie situation sure. is yeah. my In the, well, that, personal favorite. That, it, it lends a lot of credence to maybe Maggie killed them right. both and then tried to frame Lizzie yes. for it. Because I'm saying Maggie Bridget... <laughs> Bridget has been called Maggie for two years straight now right? and has just been forced because the murders happened on like the hottest day in record. She forced gone the hottest nuts, day of record. Yeah. She was forced to clean all the windows in the house inside and out after being fed spoiled mutton soup for breakfast. Because <laughs> Andrew Borden says, waste not, watch not. Yeah, so I think my personal theory is Maggie, Bridget, had finally had enough and started hacking people up and then blamed it on the daughter, was like, oh yeah, we'll get rid of her. Because a lot of the initial uh, reasons they were going for is because they interviewed... Uh, Bridget Sullivan, and they interviewed uh, Lizzie Borden right after the deaths. And because they interviewed them right after the deaths, they were basically like the hearsay of everything. And they were the only two people at the house at the time, as far as anyone can tell. Although everyone in town hated Mr. Borden. Um, we'll get into that later. <laughs> But so, like, they're the only two in the house, and Maggie's the first one to testify, and she tells all this stuff, and she has a coherent, straightforward dialogue about what happened and how, like, she was taking a nap for a while. Um, and we see in I guess flashbacks... I, I just did air quotes. No one can see yeah, that on. She, we, uh, see in flash, we see in flashbacks that there's some contradicting things that happens with but what she gives in her testimony. Then the other testimony is from Lizzie Borden, who by the time they took the testimony was not allowed to talk to her lawyer and was also doped up on double doses of morphine. Oh yeah. Just and uh... so her like <laughs> testimony was all over the place. And so they're like, well, this Maggie girl, 
She knows well, what she's talking about. And also, you would if if you hadn't been the murderer, you would be in shock, you mm-hmm. know. And people act differently, and then shock, and then you know the common habit. You see this played out in a lot of TV movies from this era, but I think there was some truth to it. If women get upset, you give them some drugs. You know, mm-hmm. lay them down, give them some morphine, pat their wrist or their head. They're there, dear. <laughs> it's okay. Take some, you know, mother's little helper or whatever. Don't get hysterical so she, now. She had, they, what, they, what Drew's referring to is they held a coroner's inquest, and the coroner's inquest... Uh, I guess there was you. What you said you read that there was a in actuality there was a state law that barred right. them from having attorneys present. Well, for some it was reason. that they had to be private, and they considered having your attorney present not private. And hmm. she's already been administered morphine, and I'm not sure about the morphine is highlighted heavily in the tel- in the telefilm which i think is trying to be as historically accurate right. as possible that actually is historically accurate she was doped up other on than morphine. with the flashbacks which yeah. we'll get into but For quite a bit so so she's you know in this inquest where they're trying to determine suspicion whether or not to go to trial and <laughs> and uh, and so later when they actually go to trials they decide that she is you know, worth looking into and worth actually charging with this murder, with these murders, they can't use any of the testimony because... It's completely inadmissible because she was denied counsel. Exactly. Because, I, you know... And high on morphine. Uh, yeah. But I, it doesn't, it, it doesn't surprise me that they would try to convince a woman in a traumatic situation that she shouldn't have counsel and she should just talk to them because it's a smaller community and everybody knows everybody no we're just gonna have this friendly chat and you don't have anything to worry about honey you know you're not a sus they didn't even want to tell her remember that scene when she walks into the parlor and she's like tell it to me straight tell me what's going on they're like well we didn't want to upset you by telling you you're the prime suspect (laughs) and you have been this whole time we thought it would agitate you who wants another injection? Yeah. Here, let me stick this needle back in your arm. Trust Christ. me, it's for the greater good. Well, and you think, like, that that's crazy, and, oh, it was 1892, so obviously crazy things were happening. But that totally... The justice system in America, let's not get too far down that yeah. hole. But, like, they still do weird stuff like that today, where, you know... That's you, a different get a, podcast. you get a small town, and you know they don't quite know the law, and then they just start accusing people and writing stuff down and recording things. And I'm from a small town of one thousand five hundred, and we we got to a point where they uh, kicked the police department out of town because we weren't allowed to have them and insurance at the same time. So that stuff still happens. That's interesting. Huh. Yeah. Gold Hill, Oregon. Very, very interesting uh, history of politics in that city. And they have a vortex there. Yeah. A vortex? Is that where the mystery spot is? Yeah. Yeah, the mystery (laughs) spot. I didn't realize. Well, the mystery spot is a different place. Oh, okay. That's a fake house of mystery. What? After the house of mystery. Oh, I see. So the original house of mysteries in Gold Hill, and because of its popularity, multiple people made mystery house and mystery shack and mystery spot. Oh, okay. And they were all based off of the mysterious ongoings were just optical illusions. 
So the House of Mystery is just all optical illusions. Sorry, House of Mystery. No, your mom told me that there's magnetic <laughs> but, fields that are... Okay, no, no, yeah, let me finish. <laughs> all right. The House of Mystery is all optical Hi, illus illusions. The Oregon Vortex, however, so it's two mysterious spots for the price of one. If oh, you're getting that emission. One is a the crooked house. Oregon Vortex, however, is a magnetic aura field, blah, 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 something or other. You start rotating in counterclockwise movements while reading poems. Do dowsing rods work? Oh, yeah, they go haywire. It's oh, insane. wow. It's really fun. I've been there. And it's, I love tourist Compasses traps, don't work there When either. you go to the front, to the front gate to pay... They, I'm sure it's still there. It's been like 10 years. But they had a news clipping that said, as featured on the X-Files. <laughs> like, yes, they this also, is where I belong. in the gift shop, have tons of people's home photographs hanging on the wall that people will send into them of mysterious orbs. This huh. is a AKA place dust in a flash. on a dust, on a, the paved road goes up to the House of Mystery and past the House of Mystery, no longer paved. <laughs> Perfect. I, I literally would ride past this on my bus routes. Five days a week, I would ride past the House of Mystery. <laughs> um, yeah, it's very mysterious. I only went to it once, actually on the inside, and it was on my way out of town when I moved to Portland. You figured, I, I might as not, well check yeah, it out. Yeah, I was like, I gotta check it out before I go, and I wasn't impressed. That's funny. So Although you, they did get me with the reading the story. I went there before you then, because I think, or was it, when was it you moved up here? Uh, 2011. Oh yeah, I went there in 2010, so mm -hmm. I beat you to it, you grew up there, so that's, mm -hmm. that's awesome. I lived in that town since I was eight years old. Eight years old. Eight to 28, I lived there. <laughs> yeah. Well. Anyways. That was a rabbit hole. That was a rabbit hole. <laughs> what were we talking about? In Fall, in Fall River, Massachusetts. There we there are. Is not, there is not a vortex that we know of, but in the Borden home, even though modern plumbing and electricity were available, they went without. Yeah, right. so we, we should talk about the dad a little bit for some context. We should. Because Andrew Borden was, by all accounts, kind of a stingy curmudgeon who was not fun to be around. They like to throw around the word skin, skin flint. flint. Yes. <laughs> Which is a word you don't hear very much anymore. It skin just makes flint. me think of skin flute, honestly. Oof. And so I get a little, very a little giggle. Very different terms. I know. <laughs> but that's what I thought of when they kept saying it. And then also this movie implies a lot of creepy things like necrophilia and incest. And, you know, they kept saying skin flint. I'm just sorry. I just, well, my we can mind all agree there. Andrew Borden was a dick. Yes. So... Yeah, I, yeah. Appreciate, so, I appreciate yeah. the portrayal that, like, they think Lizzie did it, but they don't blame her. Right. right. Yeah. Very clear. It's sympathetic. So if you go through the historical stuff of it, um, when he was murdered, um, be, there's actually a weird technicality. So since Abby was murdered first and died first, her estate went to Andrew Borden. And then when Andrew Borden died, the daughters inherited both estates. Oh, huh. So they didn't Ooh. just inherit their dad's estate, they inherited their stepmother's oh, that's just, estate. I, just icing on the cake. <laughs> the, like, five to one hour, five minutes to one hour window, we don't know exactly how far apart their deaths were. 
Um, yeah, so they inherited uh, his worth, or combined with the mother, was what the equivalent of today is a little over eight and a half million dollars. Um, and this guy that has the wealth of eight and a half million dollars would not install a toilet in the house. Yeah, they uh, they they could have had no indoor plumbing. plumbing. Yeah, but they they no drew, electricity. They drew from a manual well to get their water, and they had just a pit toilet in the basement. And they were <laughs> eating rotten mutton broth. And Ugh. I remember we got into this when we originally attempted a recording for this about how everybody noticed that it wasn't just a pit toilet. It was a double hole. <laughs> oh, yeah. well, it's a two-seater. Like, like well, in the movie it was. Yeah, but, but, no but I don't think they would have put that in the movie. That may not have been the exact setup in the in the real Borden house, but that was probably a common enough thing for older latrine situations mm -hmm. in-house that... <laughs> well, you got a household with five people in it. Odds are you're going to need to go to the bathroom just, two at a time at some point. They don't let Maggie use their fancy <laughs> pit toilet. Yeah. There's no She's the she, help. She has to go out she on the lawn. So, so I, I told, I told this story, and I'm like, and I apologize to everybody who's who's here recording because they all had to hear this story already. Um, but for the listening audience, so it made it just we just got into this whole tangent last time about how how awkward and awful and uncomfortable that would be to oh, have to. It's I don't like, remember what you're talking about. Well, like you could, I mean, a lot of people can pee around other people, but. You're definitely not wanting to... You don't to... want to drop a deuce. No, especially if you can make eye contact with someone else. Yeah. Like, yeah! <laughs> okay. And, and so what I was thinking of, I was thinking of, it made me think of two things. One, if you were an SNL fan in the early 90s, you might have seen they had this ridiculous ad for something called The Love Toilet. Yeah. And the premise was, and I think maybe Kevin Nealon was in it, but it was just this couple, and it's all gauzy and airbrushy, like it's a Red Shoe Diaries, you know, or like Skinamax type adult film. And they're like pushing the flush button at the same time and gazing into each other's eyes. And they're like, you do everything together. Why be parted when it's time to go or something like that? I don't know. I haven't seen it since the early 90s. But I just thought about that. And then I thought about how when I was um, on a green tortoise trip through Mexico when I was in college... We camped on this beach that was privately owned by the tour company for a while, and they had the pee tree where everyone was supposed to pee under this one tree. Who knows how long that tree lived? Because <laughs> they would take regular chartered groups all like summer and spring season through this area. And so you, that was where you're supposed to pee. And then if you had to have a bowel movement, I'll be proper for radio. <laughs> we, we don't have an explicit tag on our podcast yet. So you had these two outhouses, but they were just wooden frames with like burlap strapped to them. And one of them didn't even have the burlap. It just looked like a little fort that you sat in and you could, everyone could see you from like the shoulders up while you're trying to have a poo. Mm -hmm. And the other <laughs> fort was like positioned so that you could like lock eyes with oh, the person geez. in the other hut. And so we were like trying to figure out, and there's like 40 of us camped on this beach, and there's two of them, and you're trying to figure out strategic times when you can make it alone. Because you don't want to be like, hey man, could you just wait a minute? Because I just I don't want to like watch you while I'm trying to go. And, like, don't want to have a moment Sorry with somebody. Sorry if this TMI, yes. you know. But it was, it was a stressful aspect of the trip. And then also the wind would come up, so what little burlap you had to have privacy in the one like 
less put together porta potty or whatever that they built, it would just like the flap would fly open if you were holding on to it and everybody could see everything. Hmm. Yeah. So. You know. Good times. Dogs make eye contact when they're using the toilet the toilet safety to know that you have their back. And maybe this is what the Borgans <laughs> are trying to cultivate in a house that feels like unwelcoming to the outside gaze. Like upon watching this video, I was like, video? <laughs> I sound like an old person. Upon watching this film, <laughs> I was just like, wow, such intimacy and such a cold and frigid environment, you know? Well, they're also big on kissing each other on the mouth. Too, I am so. against that. Well, yeah. yeah. Uh, according to the flashbacks, yes, <laughs> Andrew Borden was big into kissing on the mouth. Only with Lizzie. Um, only with Lizzie. <laughs> um, he also, in an episode that just kind of illustrates the whole thing, and this is historically factual too, he went into the barn where they kept their pigeons, and Lizzie had j just recently completed a, a, an aviary, I think it was, like a little pigeon house. Yeah. Right. And because she made a special coop for the pigeons that yeah. would land in the barn. They were Aww. beautiful birds. She was beautiful like Bert birds. from Bert and, Bert and Ernie and Sesame Aww. Street, loving those pigeons. Aww. But uh, because the neighborhood boys were messing with his birds, Andrew Borden thought the prudent thing to do would be to go and murder all of the birds with a hatchet. Which makes no sense. Yeah. His birds, by His the birds. Way. Because when Lizzie Borden brought up the fact that sh they were her birds, he said, this is my house. Everything in it belongs to me, including you. Oh. Because <laughs> you're property woman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why we mouth kiss all the time? <laughs> Did he mouth kiss the birds before he hatcheted them? Oh, we, don't, no. we don't get to see that. Yeah, thing. <laughs> they cut that out. But yeah, then oh. after murdering all of her pigeons, he looks down at his hands, notices they're bloody, then uses his daughter Lizzie as a towel. He just wipes off the blood <laughs> on her clothing. On her like, white blouse. Oh, here, blouse. let me just get this off my hands. That's gross. She, here, And she's thank just you. standing there, like, literally... Actually, no, the thank you wouldn't happen. In the fugue state that she spends the entirety of her adult life in, I'm sure. Just zoned out thinking of the bird massacre. Well, we are shown in the, in the movie that one bird does escape, and she... And it's important because it comes back later on and she looks in the sky and she's fervently, you know, cheering for it. Like, fly, be free. Because, <laughs> you know, you can tell she wishes she was free. And also, at least one bird didn't die. And, right. and so it's really heartbreaking. And it's also just part of one of many scenes where you see the buildup to why someone might take an axe to Andrew Borden mm -hmm. multiple right. times to make sure he's really yeah. dead. And in, in fact, they, they thought for a while because the whole household had been sick for at least a day, perhaps several days prior to the I murder think so, yeah. because of the mutton. And they thought it might be poison. And, it, and, and Lizzie, uh, when, they, when they looked down this avenue, Lizzie wasn't suspected because Andrew Borden was so universally reviled that they thought someone else might have poisoned him and his family. Well, and in fact, she'd reported, or that a friend had reported that she had told them that the whole household was afraid that someone might try to do something to them, that threats had been made against the family. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, and he was a, he was a morticianer, right? Cause he he had the, started so he, out in that, in that profession. Right. So the family line, the Borden line was already a wealthy line, but he didn't have money to begin with. And he went, started out as like a mortician and moved into furniture and casket sales because that's where the money is mm -hmm. um, and then started buying up property and became basically a slumlord 
and owned a crap ton of property all over town. And, you know, that's how he got his big money. Is, you know, at least up. he was a slumlord at home, too. You know? Yeah. <laughs> not he that it makes it believe, that much better. He didn't believe in spending his money on anything. Hmm. Other than, you know, new acquisitions of property to have. Did the daughters maintain the property ownership? I don't think I remembered that from last time. But, like, you know, I just oh, assumed they got, like, passed? a lump sum. But I had right. it no, I considered, like, most deep. everything was sure, sold off. And I'm pretty sure they, they inherited the house but sold it. Well, apparently, another one of the things, this isn't in the movie. Uh, we keep getting into facts that aren't in the movie right. at all. <laughs> it's related but it's, to it's, the it's plot, a very, right? Yeah, it's a very interesting story um, that there was some really high tension also because coming up before the murders, the Andrew Borden was giving a lot of Abigail... Is it Abigail? Yeah, yeah Abigail. the stepmother. The stepmother's family, he was giving them property. And, like, because they were being given property, the Borden sisters complained. And so he sold them a rental house, which used to be the house they grew up in that the mother died in. He sold that to them for a dollar, which they then, the year of the murder, sold back to their father five thousand dollars hmm and so there was like a whole lot of who gets to have this money that the father because he was you know getting up there in years for that time frame uh-huh. well we see a scene um that's supposed to have taken place right before the murders where um the sisters over here abigail complaining to andrew that if she doesn't get put listed first in the will that if he dies, then she's going to get put out on the streets. She said, you know, so if you think they're going to take care of me or look after me, not a chance, you know. And so she is trying to persuade him, excuse me, to amend the will so that she inherits at least some of the estate. Right. And they're alluding, and, and we don't know if that conversation ever took place. We do know that the property transactions actually took place in reality. Right. Um, but it's, you know, leading up to like, oh, it's getting down to the wire, like, you have right. to do something, or you have to lose this inheritance. But there was definitely historical facts that coming up into, and tell the murderer that, uh, he was turning a lot of his stuff over towards her family, as opposed to keeping it for himself. So he's kind of like starting to give his will stuff previously his before he dies stuff, he was getting rid of it, so the will wouldn't even really mattered much anyway if he gave away all the stuff. Hmm. Well, he and couldn't the, buy and, new mutton. And the pigeon, the pigeon, <laughs> or a in, toilet. The pigeon incident happened pretty close to the day of the murder as well. Right. I think from what we looked at, the like the final incident. straw. And probably, yeah. I mean, Lizzie well, seems so like the, socially isolated. The so. yeah. pigeon incident happened. This is, again, not in the movie, but the historical part. And after it happened, the two sisters were so upset that they both took separate vacations from the house. Um, the older sister was still on vacation when the murders happened, mm-hmm. allegedly. There's still the chance that she came because she was only, like, 50 minutes away or something. She was, like, in the next town. Oh, uh, there were no... there. Were, Witnesses corroborate right, that was. No one, no one ever suspected Emma. They could have been bought. Emma's not sure. interesting enough to, to murder, murder anyone. Anyways, so the sister, the sister was still out of town. 
and Lizzie had been out of town, but had come back, I think it was like five days previous to the murder, and she spent most of those days in a boarding house. So basically, she showed back up a few days before the murder and actually slept in her own bed, and, you know, maybe she wasn't gone long enough and she, you know, heard one too many things after her beloved pigeons were murdered. Mm -hmm. Those birds were really the linchpin of the crime when you think about it. Yeah. Like, timeline-wise. Yeah, if this is for anyone out there, if you have children that aren't huge fans of you and maybe you're not very nice to them, don't murder their pets. (laughs) Right, well, don't murder their pets anyway. Sure. Or any pets. Don't murder don't pets. Murder pets. So don't murder pets. Yeah. That's, that's or what, animals that's in general, on. you know? Yeah. Even if they're right. not your pets. It's, you mm-hmm. know, it says something about you if you just go murder animals. We have a pet that would like to murder all of you and everyone out there in the listening audience. But he can't help it. He's a crazy turtle. But don't murder him. Yes. <laughs> talked about Miles on here? Miles? Miles, who has to be removed from the recording room right. so that he doesn't make Herbie, noise. our other turtle, is right here next to us. He's quiet and polite. Uh, Miles is removed from no, the Herbie's, room. Herbie's not in here. Oh, is he not? Oh, because he's, he's on, in the bedroom He's on right walkabout. Now. He's on walkabout. <laughs> because he gets walkabout because he won't bite things. Uh, Miles doesn't get walkabout because he bites things. He gets supervised walkabout, yeah. which is basically he chases whoever let him out of his tank um, <laughs> until he gets tired. And he's currently not in the room because he would be scratching at his, his little habitat and ruining our audio. We'd have problem. to record a third time. Yeah, no, we need to record a third time. <laughs> no. Yeah. So, any Andy, you look like you want to say. Like, oh, I just, I just want to say the uh, the the pigeon scene is great because we get to see how distraught Elizabeth Montgomery. Uh, oh, yeah, her acting. Her yes. acting is fantastic, and in fact, she was nominated for an Emmy for this uh, the year Only it came nominated? out. Nominated? Only oh, nominated. I wonder who beat her. I didn't check that, uh, mm. but uh, many people feel she was robbed in '75 because she just kills it in this. And we are treated to, throughout the course of the movie, we get so many just wonderful extreme close-ups of Elizabeth Montgomery's face. She's yeah. She's zoned out. Sometimes she's feeling very intensely, you know. Uh, uh, yeah, she's on the edge of a mental breakdown and murder throughout the entire, well, all the flashbacks. Mm-hmm. Which, um, is, which is, I mean, I think you really appreciate her range. She did a lot of television movies around this time and into the 80s, but... Generally, she was known for Bewitched, and Samantha is this very upbeat, easygoing, fun, quirky character, and Lizzie Lizzie (laughs) is a tormented person who's probably been experiencing a lifetime of at least psychological abuse. We don't know about the physical abuse necessarily, but that might have been in play, and she does this great job of playing not only somebody who's really tortured, but somebody who's just got a lot of demons, and also can slip into kind of a sociopath mode. Mm-hmm. It's not like she doesn't have any feelings, but she definitely can... The, the, her father even makes a comment right before he's killed that he's like, sometimes you're just so cold, and then other times you're so warm and feeling. Well, she's got a lot of stuff going on inside, and I think Elizabeth Montgomery does a great job of conveying the inner turmoil with her facial expressions. Yeah. Something I just remembered that we didn't mention, we totally mentioned in the last recording that you guys didn't hear, um, is that Elizabeth Montgomery is actually related to Lizzie Borden. Yeah, she's a a sixth cousin. Or like twice removed or however it works. And this is like a 
kind of a passion project for her, right? right. Like she wanted to get Elizabeth this made. Montgomery is the one that made this happen, probably because of the relation. And it's awesome. I have to say, it's when the, it's the first film version, is of it the it, first film so. version of this? I don't think there's any film version. There's a couple of like, um, there's like a TV episode that was like a play of some sort that they showed before this, but that was a play that was already going on. This was also the subject of a Hitchcock Presents episode. Oh. Yeah. Ooh, we should check I, that I out. I know, which I was thinking. That's I was right like, up our oh. alley for this show. But I think this is the first film. Mm -hmm. Like, full-length full -length. film. And then um, there's been a few books before this because it's just such a great subject to talk about. Well, I mean, not a lot of women even today are notorious for murder cases. And when they are, it's big news. But you got to think at the time, it's the turn of the century... Women didn't have the vote yet. Mm -hmm. It was it was a time where people had this idea that if women were committing a crime against someone, it was probably going to be a poisoning, like a, but a violent murder. Yeah. It just it an, was I think unthinkable. An to axe murder, right? Yeah. You, you think of somebody like Leatherface, you don't think of Lizzie Borden. No, Not and sweet innocent Lizzie. And we get to see her looking lovingly at a really shiny brand new axe that she pilfers from from the store, you mm -hmm, know? Mm -hmm. She's and she even She had a little love affair with that axe. Yeah. Well, it, it was it was her ticket to freedom. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I I have a few notes. I don't know there are some points we were that I don't know if it's interesting to talk about other than the pigeons, but Drew and I when we were watching this for it was like, what your second My time? Second year yeah, there's there's actual and this is actually in the in the case the actual case when they ask her where she was when her father was being murdered she was out in their barn mm -hmm. and she was well, looking one of the stories one of the stories so she was out looking for well, fishing waders but there's this emphasis on you know she's like well I looked out the window and I ate some pears well she didn't eat breakfast that morning because that morning was the mutton broth of death that was being served that was five days too old and the evil Bridget slurry. recommended that they throw it out and mm -hmm. Andrew Borden was mm -hmm. like no not, yeah, not. yeah, exactly. But they just—it's just a really funny moment of dialogue where they're like interrogating her about this pear eating, and we were thinking it's the middle of summer, it's hot. She skipped breakfast, and there's fresh pears. Oh well, yeah. Like, what's weird about sitting in a bar and eating some pears? Because, well, getting be, some also time. because like they're like you went out to look for waiters, and that took you fifteen minutes, and like the little lead weights for fishing, because she's going to go fishing. It's like, well, A, she's going out to look for them. She doesn't know where they are, maybe. And, like, that can take a while. And then she goes up, and she looks out the window and eats three pears, which they think is insane. But this is a woman who skipped breakfast, and this is 1892. They don't have a refrigerator or anything. So you got fresh pears sitting there. It's like, you better eat all Enjoy the fresh the pears. pears you can, or they're going to rot in a day. Because it's the hottest, like, weather in years. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, that would take more than 15 minutes. Right? I could easily kill half an hour in a barn just eating some pears. Well, oh, we, yeah. were, we were joking about how we have a storage shed, and it's rarely a quick trip to just go in there and get something. Right, Not so even, I was like, I'm like, oh, I'm going to go get a screwdriver. Yeah. And I go try and get a screwdriver, and I end up coming back with a screwdriver, 
um, some Christmas lights that need to be re like untangled and. <laughs> It yeah. takes me half an hour to get a screwdriver from the shed. Or you start messing with the Halloween decorations because that's how we do around here. <laughs> well, usually the screwdriver's underneath the Halloween decorations somehow. <laughs> so some interesting things, some highlights from the the, the trial scenes in this. Um, in, in actuality and also in this film, her, Lizzie's defense lawyer was the former, he was the former governor of Massachusetts, I believe. Yes, he was. And... Then we, we get to see a little bit of the home life of the prosecuting attorney who's very angry that there's all this sympathy and support for Lizzie. One, because she's a woman of good standing in society mm -hmm. and she was active in the church and she had the support of the women's suffragette movement and so they're like, oh, all these feminists are, you know, <laughs> creating problems. And, and also because she's intelligent enough to come off well in the press when she's interviewed and she he's he's just totally angry that anyone would even think that she could be innocent and he makes all these cracks about how she's hiding behind her skirts and using her feminine wiles and his very soft-spoken meek wife who we see in a couple of scenes in one of her final scenes says well that's all she has what do you expect you know she says she says that's that's the only defense mechanisms available to a woman and you do not expect her to defend herself and and she makes a, a comment about how she she doesn't agree with what happened but she sympathizes with the motives you know she she <laughs> said she basically and it's just funny because you get the feeling that this woman has never spoken up in front of her husband before because he even makes a crack he's like I suppose You'll, you think you should have the vote then, you know. And he's just making all these derogatory comments about how women have it better and they don't have to work hard and they don't know anything. And what then was the line that you don't know You don't how know how heavy. heavy those skirts are. Yeah, or, because yeah. he says she's hiding behind the skirts and she says the weight of these skirts is unbearable at times. Like, you don't know what you're talking right. about, basically. Which and it's is just a both, great... uh, both physically Accurate. and... Yes. And, and metaphorically... Accurate, because those things look super heavy. Because they're all made out well, of wool, and they're wearing them in like the hottest days in of the July. The hottest days of July, which I think would lead someone to want to murder justifiably in a the heat only wave. The things that are <laughs> uncovered are your face and hands. In <sighs> a beautiful like spin on that, when Lizzie Borden in the movie, when Elizabeth Montgomery actually goes and kills her parents, she actually strips the skirts away completely, so she's right. not hiding behind anything. Because that was a lot of people's main... For the first time! Yeah. Mm. That was a lot of people's main theory of how she was, you know, able to murder them, but somehow all of her dresses are blood-free. Well, like, people... well, obviously, she got out of her 18 layers of clothing, right. got in the nude, murdered them, pumped a basin full of water from the water pump, got in a bath, splashed around for a while, disposed of all that water, then got dressed again. Hmm. Yeah, but they, I mean, because they were baffled because she, she definitely had the motive and she had the means and she was there, but she didn't have a spot of blood on her and people saw her pretty quickly after 
Um, I think Abigail had been dead for a little while, but Andrew hadn't been dead. I think they, the doctor right. estimated like 30 minutes or something by the time he was there. By the time the doctor was there. By the time the there. doctor was there, but neighbors and friends came over and had seen her before that, and she didn't have any blood so on her. So basically their guesstimate is that like when Lizzie called out to Bridget Maggie, um father has been murdered by somebody i think is the line uh that father who had been murdered probably had only been murdered for a few minutes well she opens the front door like she's greeting people to come into the haunted mansion she says something won't you come in father's been murdered Some, or no, somebody has killed father. Somebody has killed father. Would what a like passive way of describing a situation, like, so removed. And prim and proper. Right, there's no, but there's no actor in it, uh, right? Right. Like, it just happened. Like, father has died. Like, <laughs> right. no ownership over, like, just magically, father ran into the axe. Yeah, there's spontaneous combustion, and then there's spontaneous self-bludgeoning. Yeah. It just happens. Sure. <laughs> Times were wild in the 1890s. Well, and they, Things were lit. Her emotional response was under scrutiny, too, which I thought was really interesting because people started to suspect her because of the way she acted after the murders, which was basically they didn't think she cried enough in public. And I thought that was interesting because there's sort of this female stereotype about how you should express grief and if you don't fit that stereotype then you're automatically suspect and I think people process emotions differently and whether or not she actually was involved you don't know that she's not experiencing grief because you don't see her experiencing grief that was like the number one criticism of like another real life crime that was like heinous and traumatizing and uh the Amanda Knox trial she was scrutinized in global media not just the italian media but american media too they're like well obviously she did it because she's not like weeping openly and like she was obviously traumatized and obviously in shock and also like all of 20 years old maybe like she's crazy young yeah your emotional response is totally evident right when you're being Oh, and she was another person where it's like circling back to how they didn't want to upset lizzie by letting her know that she was like uh, a, suspect. Sus- a suspect and like they wanted to interview her without an attorney present like they literally did all of those things in the early to mid 2000s to amanda knox a u.s citizen in italy they kept her without an attorney they yeah. interviewed her quote-unquote off record and they scrutinized her for how she reacted to some things like i don't even know how i would react to any sort of violent crime like i've lived in a pretty safe bubble I have no idea what I would do (laughs) right I mean it's we have these ideas and at this point in when you have so much media you're exposed to a lot of our ideas about how grief is expressed is things we see in film and television and it's all yeah it's all a lot of hair pulling and just like you know like toppling over with your grief but what if the grief hasn't really landed or what if your grief is really more like relief there yeah they that's the other thing with Lizzie Borden is he, like maybe she killed them maybe she didn't kill them but if she didn't kill them and the, all of a sudden the two people that have been, been oppressing you for years and years right. and have been holding on to all this money while you wear the same dress over and over again and have to go to the bathroom next to your sister <laughs> in the, in the basement. basement yeah um <laughs> 
and they just died and you already hated them, then you're going to be relieved and be like, you know what, okay, sure. That's the other thing. Yeah, not being sorry doesn't mean you're guilty. <laughs> I'm not sorry about a lot of stuff. Right. Well, <laughs> and the other thing I think, I just, I just remember right, we exactly. touched on, on recording number one, was that after she was acquit, after she was, you know, said she didn't do it, um, nobody tried to look for a murderer because at that point they'd lost their battle with Lizzie and the only people that would be pressing charges against anybody was Lizzie and her sister. <laughs> and at that point they're like, whatever, we're rich, we don't care. <laughs> We're gonna, yeah. we're, they moved up to a big fancy mansion up on the hill and yeah. partied there until the older sister couldn't take the partying to anymore and she moved away and never spoke to her sister well, again. as much as people got behind Lizzie during the trial, as soon as she was acquitted and she stayed in town and lived lavishly like she'd always wanted to, she became a pariah basically because... I think people thought she should have shut herself away or moved somewhere else instead of Fall River. And what she ended up doing is she bought a house on the hill with her sister, and it was where she'd always wanted to live. It was the hill where, like, the richer Bordens and upper crust society lived. And she bought they bought this beautiful home, and they named it she named it Maplecroft. And she started hanging out with the theater crowd. So she was hanging out with actresses, which apparently at the time were considered... On just a step above a prostitute in society, which, you know, just yeah, shows the, the how... people, her neighbors were not happy with her, let's put it that way. <laughs> and she was, you know, a figure of scandal, refusing to hide away and having parties with all these people who were a lot more open-minded and a lot more liberal and people that were more compatible with just Lizzie's worldview, I think. Right. And her sister was more conservative and not into the partying and not appreciating the scene that their house had become and she eventually moved out yeah well i think also probably a big portion of lizzie borden becoming such a icon is a you know a woman and an axe murderer and all that but um up through the trial she had a ton of support from the feminist marchers and from upper society because she was like kind of part of the upper society to the point where there's an, uh, one of the things I went through was an old political cartoon where it shows Lizzie Borden on one side and she's got all these fancy people behind her and then all the houses in the background are like these mansions. And then on the other side, all the people yelling at her are all these like workers and they have like the factories with the smoke coming out of them. So all the lower class just wanted her to be hung because they're <laughs> like, this rich woman needs to die. Of course she did it. And, you know her family that we all rent from mm -hmm. and then like all the upper society was like no she's one of us she would never do such a low thing but the second like she got acquitted and she moved up into the hills with them and then started throwing parties with you know actresses and theater types instantly they're like wait you know what she probably did do it <laughs> We're not on her side anymore. Well, and I think there was also... A, She's a crazy lesbian. I think there was maybe an old-fashioned contingency that said, even if she did do it, we can't really... We can't hang a woman. Right. Especially a woman, a white woman, from 
upper crust society. Even though they didn't live like they were upper crust, they were. They were part. They of were it. wealthy and. They didn't well spend connected. the money, but they had it. The former governor was her attorney. They had. Yeah, they had to have. They money. weren't hurting. But yeah, um, I'm just trying to think if there's anything else. Did anybody want to add any other scenes that they remembered or favorite parts of this? Oh. Well, we have to finish, like, the story of the birds. Yes. Which is just such an important metaphor throughout. Like, it's the through line of what is a really delightful made-for-TV movie is Lizzie is leaving the courthouse. She has just been acquitted. She looks up at the awning or, like, whatever, like, the, the carved marble of the courthouse, the institution of law and justice. <laughs> And there's her pigeon, her survived pigeon. It's implied that it's her pigeon, right? Or I'm not sure. Uh, it's a, a pigeon. pigeon. It's a pigeon. It could be her pigeon. Maybe it'll be. I'm pretty sure downtown. they use the same shot of it flying. Yes. yes. Recycled that. There's shot. her pigeon. Recycled <laughs> footage of it flying, and she looks up and she smiles. And we don't really see Elizabeth Montgomery's like beautiful, resplendent face smiling a whole lot in this movie because no. she looks bewildered and fugue stated for like the whole thing but she smiles because she's free she's free and that bird is free and everything is just going to be aces from now on and i get a little emotional about it (laughs) hugging a bird right now so i just realized i'm really glad that you brought that up and that we're tying, (laughs) tying that together because that is like towards the very end it's not the note the exact note they end on but it's just basically full circle you know that she Mm -hmm. she's been released she's free and, like her pigeon. And, uh, but we didn't talk about, we, we, we alluded to it, but we didn't get into more things about Andrew Borden that were <laughs> allegedly happening. And these are not facts. These are oh, this liberties. Is just in the show. The movie. Yeah, these are liberties that the people who wrote this movie took to describe how horrible Andrew Borden was. And they basically, in flashbacks to Lizzie's childhood, there's a couple scenes where she's visiting him while he's doing mortician work. And one of the scenes, she's watching him and he doesn't know she's there. And it implies that there's necrophilia going on at Aunt Andrew Borden's, you know, little, I don't know what you call it, a workshop? <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't a morgue. He was working out of, like, their the home. Yeah, yeah, like his daylight basement. Because yeah. Maybe she needed to go to the bathroom. Oh, no! <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh God! Yeah, the anal retentiveness, right? But uh, it shows him, and it that shows him lifting up the fabric that's covering this female corpse and eyeballing it suspiciously, like he's liking what he sees, and then feeling ashamed and putting it down, and then going in to grab some breasts. It's over fabric, but he's definitely <laughs> copying a feel. And little Lizzie's well, watching. Well, ABC, yeah. so it's right. over fabric because it's ABC. Right. But it's heavily implying that he is a necrophiliac. And then on top of this, if this wasn't terrible enough, he also seems to have an almost or probably incestuous relationship with Lizzie. Even early on in a memory scene where he's talking to Lizzie as an adult, he alludes to, we always had a special relationship. I don't understand you, girl, when she's, like, having a rebellious outburst. But he, like, gives her this look. I really love her parlor outburst. I'd forgotten about that. But it's so great because, like, the whole family acts like she's a tyrant and she's, like, 
holding them hostage with her frivolity. She's really just wanting to be treated. Right. She just has reasonably. a lot of feelings and yeah. they're not here for it. Only mouth kisses and fondling of dead people in this house. Right. And and she also gives there's a scene where as a little girl she gives her dad her favorite ring for his birthday and puts it on him and it's like kind of shot like a wedding scene and it's like for pledging and promising like to your dad like that's like a real thing though yeah to protect daughter purity oh that's <laughs> disturbing so so it's like more things in these and again this is speculation there are no we don't know what happens really right. in the boarding household during lizzie's childhood other than that she was unhappy she didn't get along with her stepmother and she was unhappy but we don't know if there was any sexual abuse and we definitely do not know if Andrew Borden was a necrophiliac and abused <laughs> his non-consenting corpses. So, yeah, but it goes there because, you know, you gotta, again, you gotta get the ratings, gotta get the butts in the seats. Mm -hmm. I think it's worth mentioning that those things are shown to us. They painted a really, like, grotesque portrait of him as a person, which is weird because, like, the actor has, like, this really kind grandfatherly sort of air to him. He did. Like, when he, when Lizzie is looking at him for the last time alive when he is in repose on his reclining chaise and she's about to go strip naked pull down her beautiful 70s hair and murder him with a hatchet <laughs> he's like super friendly to her he's like yeah. oh i'm so tired it's nice to see you lizzie you're like you're in such a good mood today having just murdered abigail yeah you know best her. mood of her life probably it's it's hard to like i'm glad that they paint the full spectrum of him being like if nothing else a creep because right. it makes it like elizabeth montgomery doesn't play the most likable character of her career in this movie but she's sympathetic as all heck because of like how abhorrent her father is like she's a little abrasive with Bridget and also her <laughs> sister at times and sometimes she's kind but you get the you get the feeling that she she's could a be a spoiled little brat yeah she's a she's a little bit of a spoiled brat and she's a little bit on the self-centered side of course, not the spoiling part. You do feel bad for her. Well, you kind of get the feeling that, like, maybe even though Andrew Borden is a bit of a hard ass, you get the impression that he has a soft spot for Lizzie. Whether or not it's more than that, it's yeah. hard to say. I mean, this movie's trying to imply that there's well, more going on. you know, in a family where they're all eating rancid mutton and Lizzie gets to have pears, she's a spoiled Well... Rat. And it was also known that Andrew's Andrew's marriage to Abigail was one of convenience. It wasn't a he fell in love scenario. The girl's mother had passed. He had two little girls. He needed a wife at home to help him run his household. And she, from what I read historically, was from a good family that had good name standing but was technically poor. And so she needed to marry into money to help, like, mm -hmm. her family line, which he bought them some properties, which, you know, was part of the rift with the daughters. But, like, it, it was a good marriage financially for Abigail. And then Andrew had somebody to help him run his household and take care of his girls and do all that stuff while he's out, you know, banking and owning property and... All those things. Because I think by the time he married Abby, he was already starting to make his money. Yeah. So, anybody have any 
final thoughts? No. I think that's, I think we covered it. Yeah. Um, I would also say if, if you liked this, you might also check out, there's a 2014 Lifetime made for TV movie that we won't cover because it's too new, but it stars Christina Ricci as as a Lizzie Borden, and it's called Lizzie Borden Took an Axe. And then they made a spinoff series, which I haven't seen. I did enjoy the movie, though, but they made a, they made a TV series based on the movie implying that Lizzie goes on to kill more people, <laughs> which is a little off the rails and a little... I don't know. I feel like it's, this is a right. real person, the and she... Taking liberties of how she killed her parents is one thing. To say she then became a mass murderer is some really big liberties. <laughs> right. Also, last episode was essentially, like, there was, like, a 15-minute just, like, love letter to Christina Ricci's career. Um, because oh, yeah. yeah. We went I, down a rabbit yeah. hole. Yeah. Oh, right. We, we like, yeah. actually we explained the entire so premise of Pan Am. <laughs> <laughs> we did. very short-lived show. Because Drew and I are super big fans of Pan Am, apparently. Well, of Christina Ricci of Christina and Ricci Pan Am. And the Pan rest Man. of the show kind of went down. Yeah. Yes. But, you know, this, you know, just... Oh, right, we talked about Z. Uh-huh. Yeah, oh, Z. yeah, because she's a fantastic Zelda yeah. Fitzgerald. Uh -huh. And I don't know if you've seen photos of the of the host of the Haunted Davenport, but Allison's a dead ringer for Christina Ricci. Aww, it always has been in, like, a beautiful, big-eyed, brown-haired kind of way. Big-eyed, brown hair, I don't know anything about that. <laughs> Drew has a type. Yeah. Yeah, he does. <laughs> Anyways... <laughs> On the hand to Davenport, we yeah. thank you for listening. Um, oh. We thank our. Hold up. Oh, we're not. Oh, hold up. I, I have. The, uh, the, yeah, the I stuff. have. I have two more things Lizzie Borden related. I wanted to bring up. <laughs> oh. um, they're short things. All right. One was a quote from this movie, which I really got a kick out of. Where when there's a crowd gathered when the first part of the trial is starting, one of the local officials says, well, you know, they haven't had a good witch hunt since Salem, which I think is especially funny because you have Elizabeth Montgomery, who was a famous television <laughs> witch, at the center of the witch hunt. And fun fact, if you are ever traveling to Fall River, Massachusetts, you can stay in the Lizzie Borden house where the murders took place. It is a bed and breakfast. And currently, at this time anyway, it mm -hmm. is. And we talked about this when we did our original recording of this episode. But this is the first and probably only episode that will ever feature an actual haunted Davenport in it. Right. And Drew was the one who pointed that out last time. The father is murdered on a couch. Yeah. Um, a very and fancy the, couch. At the bed and breakfast. They have all, a replica yeah, of it. Yeah, all the furniture was long lost because of years and years of this and that and whoever owned this house afterwards. But the current owners of the house that have made it a bed and breakfast have painstakingly gone through all the photographs that are available and have reconstructed the home down to the details of what the furniture actually looked like back to the Lizzie Borden house of yesteryear. And if you ever want to see what it looks like without going there, there's a few different ghost hunting shows that have done episodes there. One of our favorites was from a series that BuzzFeed put out called BuzzFeed Unsolved, and they go to the Lizzie Borden house. That's something you can look up. I think it's on Amazon Prime right now if you want to check that out. And they do a little, you know, recordings of EVPs and things. And, you know, Lizzie, are you there? Andrew, are you there? That kind of stuff, which I actually think is kind of repetitive and boring. But it's a, it's a cute show, and it's funny, and... You get to see inside the house, so if you haven't already been there, 
they also, the people who own the bed and breakfast, bought Maplecroft up the hill, and that is also a bed and breakfast, I believe. So if you want to stay in a Lizzie Borden-related house that did not have murders take place in it, at least as far as we know, sure. Lifetime thinks otherwise, <laughs> um, you can go check that out as well. And I think sometime when we're up that way, we will have to do a tour of those two places. Oh, yeah. I think well, that's really and also, interesting. on the same lines of this particular Lizzie Borden story... And as long as you're taking a trip around that area, you might as well go to Salem, Massachusetts and see the statue of Elizabeth Montgomery. Right, yeah. I didn't even think about that. Sabrina, uh, as um, as Samantha. 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 the Teenage Witch. No. So many witches. <laughs> TV witches. We love TV witches. Mm-hmm. All right, guys. Well, I want to thank Val for coming and joining us. We want to have you back again soon. And It'd be an honor. <laughs> you were such a trooper, too, because we thought we recorded a very fabulous episode, and then when we went to playback and realized that there had been some some snafus, and it wasn't salvageable, it was heartbreaking, because we are like, this was so good, oh man, you know, it was funny, and you were a great guest, but you're a great guest again. Oh, thank so, you. Thanks for coming back. Thanks to Andy for being willing to come back as well. Sure. You guys were good sports. Um, I came back. You live here. We're recording at our house. This is your yeah. Davenport. Right. It is my Davenport. <laughs> You're on your Davenport. Oh, I hope this one's not haunted. I don't think it is. It creaks. It's pretty it old. It creaks sometimes. I have to. I have to be careful because we record in here a lot. And I actually, um, when I was doing some stuff with Joel and Peter on Terror on the Tube, I realized I was like making the couch creak when I was moving around. I thought, oh god, I hope this isn't getting picked up yeah, on their yeah, audio. Yeah, creak quite a few times this recording. Right, well, you know. It's okay, it adds to our our, our, um, our yeah, ambience. Yeah, the spookiness. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. so, um, yeah, with that. Do you want to mention the other shows you're oh, in? Oh, right, well, um, yeah, if you want to hear more from me talking about TV movies that are suspense and horror related, and also from bygone years, you can check me out on the Terror on the Tube podcast. It is a side podcast from Retro Movie Geek. You can check out RetroMovieGeek.com. I'll put a link in the show notes. Eventually, I believe Terror on the Tube is on its own um, feed on Apple Podcasts now. So you can search that if you want to just listen to that. We have been covering a random made-for-TV movie from either the 70s, 80s, or 90s um, once about once a month. And it's a lot of fun. We just recently covered Crowhaven Farm, so that should be coming out in March. Um, also, this episode was technically supposed to be our February episode. We will have a March episode um, to be determined theme-wise, but look for that. So we'll have a new Haunted Davenport episode later in March, and uh, this was the, the late, late February. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Thank yeah, goodness as it's a leap year. This, it is still February. Technically, We're gonna yes. We're going to try and get it out still in February, which is tomorrow. But in all likelihood, <laughs> people will probably not be downloading until yeah, early March. You're probably so. not listening to this until March. Apologies for that. It, it February is Women in Horror Month, so it seemed appropriate to also cover Lizzie Borden, who is an icon of horror, of <laughs> true life horror. Yeah. But yeah, thanks, thanks guys. Thanks for listening. Hope y'all are having a lovely late winter, early spring, or the opposite of that if you're down in Australia. <laughs> we have Aussie listeners. We have had, yeah, yeah. Ooh. We have a few international listener, listeners, and I thank you. Um, good day, mate. 
Like the ghost watch, the ghost watch British accents weren't terrible. Uh, <laughs> we get downloads from that for that episode from the UK all the time, and uh, and I always wonder if they ever bother to listen to any other episodes, and, and I can't blame them if they don't because the accents are bad, guys. It's a fun episode, but sorry about <laughs> sorry about that and all the glory hole comments. Mm-hmm. Now yeah. see, now the reason people. Re- do that one all the time. We mention it like in every three episodes. You're about plugging it every third episode. Go back and listen <laughs> to our and British listen accents. Go back and listen to our comments about glory holes. <laughs> yeah. And on that note. <laughs> on that note. Yeah. Um, well, we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. You're beautiful. That's for sure. You'll never ever fade you're lovely but it's not for sure